Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. A happy belated Dragon Boat Festival, Duanwujie, to all of our listeners. We may have been off yesterday due to the public holiday in China on Monday, but there's already so much to catch up on. Geopolitical strains have continued to shake things up for the world's second largest economy. A Hong Kong company has unveiled a humanoid robot nurse, and there have been more elephant antics in Yunnan province. Here's what's been going down in China's business scene over the past seven days. The Chinese embassy in the UK on Monday criticized a statement by the leaders of the Group of Seven, the G7, for the quote-unquote deliberate slandering of China. The embassy also accused the country's leaders of so-called gross interference in its internal affairs. The joint statement issued by the leaders of the Club of the World's Seven Top Industrialized Nations during their summit in the UK on Saturday criticized, among other things, China's conduct in Xinjiang and Hong Kong and expressed concerns over the situation in the Taiwan Strait. China's embassy in the UK hit back with its own statement expressing, quote, strong dissatisfaction and firm opposition. The embassy also denounced the G7 summit as, quote, block and power politics in a small circle that intentionally creates confrontation and division. The news comes after Beijing passed its new anti-foreign sanctions law last week. The new legislation comes after the country's lawmakers and policy advisors proposed earlier this year to have a specific law on foreign sanctions to provide strong legal backing to China's countermeasures against what it deems to be foreign discriminatory measures. When asked to comment on the legislation, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian said the move was about paying foreign nations back in their own coin. During the last four years, China has been frequently targeted by foreign sanctions. That's especially since the former U.S. President Donald Trump took office in early 2017. As of early 2021, the Chinese government has taken multiple corresponding countermeasures against entities and individuals, including those from the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and the E.U. And speaking of the E.U., it seems that European-based companies are growing concerned that the geopolitical climate could be hurting their businesses. 
A new survey by the European Union Chamber of Commerce found that more than a third of European companies in the Asian nation believe the business environment has become more politicized due to simmering tensions between Beijing and Brussels. According to the survey, an alarming 41% of respondents believe business has become more political in the past year. The survey also revealed that many of these companies fear that nationalist sentiment could intensify and result in a severe backlash against perceived criticism of China. Things are also heating up on the financial front. China's foreign exchange chief has warned against betting on the country's rapidly appreciating currency. The news comes as the regulator seeks to curb speculation and guard against financial risks. Speaking at a Shanghai forum, Pan Gongsheng, head of the State Administration of Foreign Exchange, said, quote, Do not bet on the appreciation or depreciation of the yuan. Companies who keep gambling on that will definitely lose. Pan's warning comes as the yuan has been on a tear since the end of March and hit a three-year high against the U.S. currency in May. China's financial regulators have recently stepped up efforts to stabilize the exchange rate and curb speculation. The People's Bank of China, in particular, told domestic lenders to hold more foreign currencies in reserve in a bid to ease upward pressure on the yuan. Moving on to some big tech news on ByteDance, which is now aspiring to become a technology supplier for companies eager to digitize. The news comes as the Beijing-based company seeks to expand revenue beyond mainstay consumer-facing apps. Last week, the TikTok owner officially introduced a smart technology brand called Volcano Engine, which it said will focus on exporting proprietary technologies, including recommendation algorithms, data analytics, and artificial intelligence, to more corporate clients. ByteDance said it has provided its business growth technologies to corporate clients, including e-commerce giant JD.com, smartphone maker Vivo, car maker Geely, video streamer Bilibili, and China Construction Bank. And if you think Volcano Engine sounds innovative, just wait until you hear about the latest venture from Hansen Robotics. According to Reuters, the Hong Kong-based tech startup, which shot to fame for making a social robot named Sophia, is now launching a new prototype for the healthcare market. The same Reuters report says that the prototype, named Grace, not only has a thermal camera that can take people's temperatures and measure their responsiveness, but it also uses artificial intelligence to diagnose patients and speaks English, Mandarin, and Cantonese to enable its communication with frontline medical workers. The company's founder says that the robot can also simulate the action of more than 48 major facial muscles, which apparently is helpful in building trust and enhancing natural engagement with humans. And finally, let's talk about the elephant in the newsroom. Well, sort of. A herd of more than a dozen wild elephants migrating north in southwest China's Yunnan province have been lingering in a local county for about a week, with experts saying they're waiting for a lagging member to return as authorities encourage the herd to turn back. A young male elephant left the herd Tuesday when others crossed into Yimen County in Yuxi, a city about 90 kilometers south of the provincial capital of Kunming. He then spent three days roaming through the smaller city of Anning before entering a district in Kunming. Since leaving their natural habitat in March 2020 in Xishuangbanna, the southernmost prefecture in Yunnan, 
The elephants have trekked more than 500 kilometers, traveling mostly north through jungles, fields, and villages. Let's turn now to Sightseeing Global Company Editor Matthew Walsh. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Welcome to the show. Lovely to have you. It's great to be here. So you've been following this company, Shein, and uh, you and your colleague, Flynn Murphy, have written two in-depth reports about the company. I read the first half of it for our China Stories podcast, and uh, your colleague, Heather Mowray, read the second, so I know it well. Uh, what's got you so interested in this fast fashion app, and, and why should our listeners want to know about it? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with a little confession, and I'm sure um, Flynn would feel the same way about this. We weren't particularly uh, knowledgeable about Shein at all until about a month ago, even though this app has existed for, for quite a few years now. Uh, it's really flown under the radar. Uh, and what it is, is a, a fast fashion app, as you say, um, that is incredibly popular among um, young women and teenage girls, especially uh, in the US and many other Western countries, you know, for example, in the UK, where I'm from, but then also in Australia, where Flynn's from, and, and, and a whole bunch of other countries across um, Western Europe. And really what makes this company so interesting is the way that it is um, disrupting the established fast fashion industry combined with its um, size and incredible secrecy. Um, so just to sort of speak to that a little bit more, you know, Shein is, is a huge company, but very few people have heard of it. Um, a recent round of investment has you know, placed its estimated value at around $15 billion, which places it among you know, some of the world's biggest tech firms. Um, it's incredibly popular among uh, what we might call Gen Zers, um, people who are mainly under 30 and who are very you know, mobile savvy and internet savvy. Um, and yeah, in addition to that, we don't really know a huge amount about how this company is run or who really owns it. And you know, as, as journalists, um, Flynn and I found that absolutely fascinating. So let's talk a bit first about the company and uh, its business model. How, how does she, in compared to other fast fashion retailers like Zara or H&M? Sure. So Shein, the brand, is owned by um, a network of Chinese companies based in the, uh, the cities of Nanjing and Guangzhou. Um, and as we say, it operates this fast fashion business model. Uh, and when we think of that business model in global terms, we would perhaps think of really established uh, high street brands like Zara, which is owned by a Spanish company called Inditex, and H&M, which is uh, a Swedish, I think, conglomerate. Um, and if you take Zara, for example, they really pioneered uh, this fast fashion model about 20 years ago. And they distinguish themselves by being able to, you know, take huge numbers of new product lines and bring them to consumer at unprecedented speed. And if you go on Inditex's official website, for example, they really... Uh, they really flaunt the model that they have created. Um, they say that due to their close networks with manufacturers and suppliers and whatever, they're able to make 50,000 new product lines per year uh, and bring them to the consumer within three weeks of conception. And, you know, that's extremely fast and, you know, an extremely broad range of, of, of clothes, right, that you could, you could buy. Shein is taking this model and turbocharging it and also doing it at lower cost. It's, it's really quite astonishing. Uh, if you go on the Shein app, for example, um, you can see that they, you know, the, the, the week, for example, that we, we wrote our pair of articles, they had uh, brought out 30,000 new product lines in one week. Um, they were doing it at a, a price that I would estimate would be about 20% cheaper than most of the stuff, the equivalent stuff that you'd see on, on Zara or H&M. 
And, you know, through talking to a few of their suppliers, it became obvious that they're also reducing the turnaround time, right? So the time from conception to getting the product available for purchase. With Shein, it's not three weeks, it's it's five to seven days. And there's lots of evidence to suggest that for certain product lines, it's even even less than that. So, you know, in terms of what makes this company interesting, I certainly think that it's its ability to tap into the existing fast fashion business model and sort of turn everything up to 11 is is really what makes it stand out among its competitors. Matthew, there's a lot, as you say, that we don't know about the company, including the precise ownership structure or who all the investors are. So why do you think that is? Has this been uh, deliberately made opaque? Well, there's certainly a few ways that um, Shein um, kind of flies under the radar. Uh, the first is that it seems to take great pains to um, you know, obscure its Chinese origins in a way. Um, it doesn't disclose on its website or in its press releases that it is a, a Chinese company. Um, and, you know, even its presence on websites like you know, Wikipedia or the Chinese equivalent Baidu Baikhe are extremely short. Um, and you can't really learn much about the history of the company there. In addition, it's got a really um, kind of stealthy marketing strategy, at least to people like me who, who you know, are above the age of 30 and don't don't use apps to buy their clothes. Um, Shein issues um, traditional advertising. It doesn't speak to the media. It doesn't um, use TV advertising or print advertising. It um, operates predominantly through uh, online targeted ads and uh, you know, advertising through social media tie-ups, sorry, through, through tie-ups with uh, influencers. And that all adds up to this kind of um, image of a company that isn't really happy disclosing its its full story. And that extends as well into you know, trying to find out how it runs and who ultimately owns it. Um, we know uh, from Chinese corporate documents that, um, that it's ultimately owned by a Hong Kong-based company called Zoe Top. But we don't know anything about Zoe Top itself. Um, its contact details are not listed in the Hong Kong corporate registry. Um, and we also don't know very much about uh, the people who who run it. Um, you know, there's Sheehan, Sheehan has uh, published um, different sort of conflicting accounts of the story of its of its founder and its foundation. And um, also, you know, when we go on to corporate um, corporate filings in China, we see a lot of the same names listed as executives and directors, but we don't really know anything about these guys and we were not able to contact them for our pieces. So we have this huge fast fashion company, very successful, but we don't know much about it. Does that sound any alarms for you? Does it suggest that there's something maybe that we should all be concerned about? Well, I guess like the first thing that I would say is that it's not there's not really an onus on Shein to disclose information that it doesn't want to disclose. It's not a listed company, uh, and so it doesn't have to put out, you know, quarterly earnings or, or whatever, or speak to um, public investors or you know people like us if it doesn't want to. Um, that said, like I do think um, there are potentially reasons um, why we should be concerned. You know. The main one being that Shein, as I say, has really taken this fast fashion model and and dialed it right up. And this is coming at a time when you know traditional fast fashion players are retreating from 
what you might consider to be the excessive side of this industry, the side of this industry that has a really um, you know, detrimental effect on the environment, a detrimental effect on um, labour. Sheehan doesn't have to answer any of the same questions because we don't really know how to engage with it or it doesn't engage with with us. And, you know, part of that is we don't know the people who run it. Even the people who work for Shein don't know who runs it. We spoke to one guy from, from Turkey who worked for them for six months in Nanjing a, a couple of years ago. And this was at a time when Shein was a real startup uh, culture. And you would expect that would bring the guys at the bottom of the hierarchy pretty easily into contact with guys higher up. But um, our... Our contact in Turkey said he never, ever heard from a guy called Chris Shu, who is meant to have founded the business. He never heard from him and he never heard from any of the other directors or executives throughout his time there, um, despite the fact that he had quite a, uh, a full role in, um, in expanding Shein's market presence in Turkey. So, you know, as I say, the secretiveness of this company is one thing that makes it extremely interesting. Um, and yeah, there are lots of questions that we still need to answer about it. Okay, well, thanks, Matt, for filling us in. All right, no problem. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Taishin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Taishin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Taishin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Here's stories from Taishin Global, Sub China, Sixth Tone, and many other China-focused outlets on the new China Stories podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.